we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Um, good morning, Ascend. How's everybody doing? Good. Yes, I love it. Um, well, for those of you that I have not had the opportunity to meet yet, um, my name is Aisha. I had the sacred privilege of serving as one of the teaching pastors here and more recently the prayer pastor until last July when I transitioned off staff, not knowing what was next, but fully trusting that was where God was leading me. And about a week into that journey, I got a call from my doctor saying, that there was nothing else that she could do for me and my husband. So it was time for us to look into seeing a fertility specialist, which was something that we had been bracing ourselves for. And then about a week after that call, we found out we were pregnant after two and a half years of trying. So um, I'm excited to not only be back up here, but the fact that I got a special guest with me that's going to make me a little, uh, my husband's very excited. Thanks. Thanks, hey. Um, I got a special guest is going to make me, you know, have to pace myself a bit more. They were trying to get me to sit down, but because I'm so um, short, aka fun size, I'm a little insecure about my feet dangling when I sit. So I'm like, no, I am walking around the whole time. Um, but y'all, on top of that, um, I have another special guest with me today, and it's my favorite woman in the world. My mom is here, y'all, visiting in town. So it's going to be a good Sunday. And I feel like a lot of you in this room are familiar with me, but I also see a lot of new faces. And I just want to tell y'all two quick things about me. The first thing is I am from California, but I say y'all a lot. I don't know how that happened, but it is a thing. So you've been warned. And number two is I don't like to preach by myself. I feel like y'all kind of already know that a lot of you. So feel free to talk back to me. Give your girls some amens. If I say something that's funny, you can laugh. But you know, since I'm pregnant, if it's not, maybe still give me a little chuckle. I would appreciate that very much. But um, last week, we started a brand new series called Behold that my husband, Maurice, actually kicked off. And in this series, we are highlighting different character attributes of Jesus um, and pivotal moments in his ministry because Jesus is our ultimate example of what it means to be a faithful follower of God. And before I say anything else, and as I briefly catch my breath, um, would you join me as I pray? God, thank you so much that we are gathered together as community to worship you and learn from your word. Father, right now, I just surrender my notes, my preparation, all that I have brought with me today, and I just give it over to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each person under the sound of my voice in a very specific and personal way. We want to hear from you, God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So growing up, I always felt like there was a part of my identity that was missing. 
And part of that was due to the fact that I felt I didn't really look like my mom or my dad. So I'm like, are y'all not telling me something? There was a show called Sister Sister where they were actually adopted. So I was thinking, you know, maybe that's my story. I got a twin. These are my parents. I don't know. But another reason I had a lot of identity questions as a kid was because I have been fascinated with TV and film since I can remember and specifically anything with like supernatural abilities, um, good versus evil, all those things. So these are some of the questions that I wrestled with as a kid. When I turn 13, will my supernatural powers be activated? Does my family have a generational secret that points to a superpower that I have. And the last one, it wasn't as broad, it was very specific because I just wanted to be her so bad. Am I Buffy the Vampire Slayer's protege? I just wanted to be her, student by day, slaying vampires at night, I'm a night owl, I can do that. And you know, these identity questions didn't stop when I was a kid. They actually continued into adulthood. And when we first moved here in 2016, 2016, the question I dreaded the most that some of you in this room probably asked me is, Aisha, what do you do? And for the first time in my life, I didn't have an answer because I didn't come out here with a job. So now I have heard people talking about this midlife crisis but what happens when you are 25 years old and you find yourself having an identity crisis? Because all the things that I used to say, like I'm a student, I'm an actress, I'm a dancer, I'm a teacher, I couldn't say any of those things anymore. Everything that I did had been stripped away from me when I moved here. And that made me question my identity. That made me question my worth. That made me question, do I even belong here? People were asking me, what do you do? But the question I heard in my mind was, who are you? And how often do we do that? How often do we equate what we do to who we are? For some of us, we wear many different hats. But others of us, you may find yourself in a season of transition where you don't even have the answer to what do you do right now. Or you may be wrestling, who am I? And I believe there's also others of us where we may not have a long list of roles that we play. And because of that, we use this word, just. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just retired. I'm just a student. I'm just trying to figure it out. And when we use that word just, what it communicates is that we're not enough. And the issue with equating who we are to what we do is that the things that we do can change. The things that we do can be taken from us. So what happens when you no longer have that job? 
What happens when you're no longer in that relationship? What happens when your kids are out the house? What happens when you start to age and things change in your body? And the thing that you are able to do physically, you're no longer able to do. When that happens, we start to question who we are. We start to wrestle in our minds with who am I? And the identity of Jesus was a hot topic back when he was on this earth. People were constantly trying to figure out, who is this man? Who is this man that teaches with authority? Who is this man that performs miracles? Who is this man that the seas obey him? Who is this man that prefers to sit with the least of these, those on the margins instead of the religious elite? Who is this man? And when we look in scripture, we see that Jesus clearly knew who he was, even when he was challenged, questioned, or doubted, even by those that walked so closely with him. And if we're honest, this question about Jesus is something that we still talk about today. So for our time together, I'm going to be in two different passages this morning. And the first one is Matthew chapter 3. Now, John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the disciple, um, is preaching in the wilderness. And the best way that I can describe John is that um, he gives me bolder vibes a little bit. You know, maybe he wears deodorants, probably natural, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he got some braids down here. And no, and no shade to no one who lives in Boulder. You know, this is just, you know, what, what people be saying. Y'all know, y'all laughing. Um, there's also a word that is not really in my vocabulary, but um, a lot of the girls, women, I need to stop calling them girls. A lot of the women I mentor use this word, and it's granola. Do y'all know what it is? I feel like this side knows what I'm talking about. Very granola-ish, like, you know, wilderness vibes, natural, all this. This is John, y'all. So he had one simple message. Um, somebody laughing real hard, and they're going to they gonna pull something out of me already. Um, John had one simple message. And it was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And repent simply means um, to change direction, to turn from sin and turn to God, to change in one's mind. And there's a pastor by the name of Tony Evans, and I love how he defines repentance. He says, repentance shows up on your hands and your feet, not just your lips. So before we get into the verse that I'm going to hit on, this is what John is telling a bunch of religious leaders that are coming to him to be baptized. He's telling them, this is not just something that you say with your lips. This is something that produces change. This is something that produces fruit in your life. So John just literally finished telling people that I'm going to baptize you with water, but there is one who is greater than me, and he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. And I'm going to use the word for our series, Behold, Jesus steps on the scene. So let's look at verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now. 
for thus it is fitting for you to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So family, John is confused. Although John has been preaching in the wilderness saying, I am preparing the way. Actually, if you didn't know John and Jesus, they were relatives. And the last time that they were in the same environment was when they were in their mother's womb, Mary and Elizabeth. Um, so John is like, okay, like you should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy of touching your sandal. But what Jesus says, I believe it's in verse 15. Um, and also, I normally don't use the New King James Version, but this is the first version that I learned and I actually started reading scripture for myself. And I love it because it specifically says, behold. And you'll see why that's important in a little bit. So John is confused and he thought it was inappropriate for him to baptize Jesus because remember what I just said, his main message is telling the people to repent. Jesus has nothing to repent for. Jesus hasn't sinned. First Peter 2.22 says, He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. So this sinless man, sinless Savior, is coming to be baptized by me. This doesn't make sense, but Jesus says, Allow this so it can fulfill all righteousness. And what he means by that is that this is to fulfill God's mission. This is to fulfill God's word, words that have been spoken years ago to be obedient to God's will. So Jesus is baptized and I love what verse 16 says. Immediately as he came up from the water, behold, the heavens were open to him. And I believe Whitney said it this morning, Mo said it last week, I'm going to say it again. Behold means be sure to see. Be sure to see Jesus' identity being affirmed by the Father. Family, the first thing, and I'm just going a little bit off my notes, is that the affirmation of Christ's identity was rooted in his being, not in his doing. Jesus hadn't performed any miracles, no healing, no prolific teaching, but his identity was affirmed in such a significant way. Publicly, others witnessed this moment. It didn't happen behind the scenes. People saw it. People saw the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Y'all, the Trinity was on display in this very moment. What is the Trinity? One God in three distinct persons. The voice of the Father speaking to him. The Son being baptized. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Many describe this moment as the inauguration of Jesus. Ugh. And then this part right here. The three truths that the Father says to the Son before he has done anything. You are my Son. You are dearly loved, you are unconditionally loved, and you please me. And Jesus ain't did nothing yet. Society tells us you are what you do, but God tells us you are because I am. 
I heard one amen, I'ma say it again so y'all can just uh, let it penetrate. Society tells us you are what you do, but God tells us you are because I am. Amen. amen. Jesus had a strong sense of identity because the words of his father. Now, when we talk about wearing a bunch of different hats, there were so many names for Jesus, so many roles that he carried, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Savior, Bread of Life, Shepherd, Teacher, Chief Cornerstone, Rock, True Vine, Redeemer. I would keep going on, but I need to be mindful of my breath. <laughs> Woo. But the most sacred name that he held on to the most sacred name that affirmed his identity, that fueled him into his ministry, was son. And as I read those words, I wonder what would happen if we filtered every thought, every experience, every bit of commentary that we encounter on a daily basis through that eternal truth. And if we can be really real up in here today, some of us have never had those words spoken over us. Some of our earthly parents, either as kids or adults, have not spoken those words over us. But family, hear me when I say that I fully believe that God wants to speak this truth over you today. You are loved, you are a child of God, and God is pleased with you. And as I said, I like when y'all talk back, so we just gonna do a little call and response moment real quick. Can you do me a favor and just repeat after me? Say, I am loved. I am a child of God. My father is pleased with me. All right, y'all making me feel like I'm back in the Catholic church a little bit, so we gonna say it one more time. Say it with some gusto, okay? All right, say, I am loved. I am a child of God. My father is pleased with me. I know somebody needed to hear that today. Our God-given identity shapes how we see ourselves, shapes how we interact with others, and it shapes how we show up in the world. We don't want the core of our identity to be rooted in things that can be changed or taken away from us. And when we don't know who we are, you know what happens? Insecurity comes in, jealousy comes in, comparison comes in, the standards and expectations of society and what culture tells us we should be and how we should be doing things starts to shape us more than the truth of God's word. And last week as Mo was preaching, I found myself doing my best to hold it together, which something that's very interesting in this pregnancy is normally I'm like queen of ugly cry. I've said this before. I have no shame in my tears. Um, but this pregnancy has me very like, oh, no tears. Um, but I'm sitting at the end of Mo's message and I just start writing in my notes. And what God started to put on my heart is there is a lot of content and teaching on identity for women. And that's needed. I'm a champion for women all day, every day. But what he started to show me is that my sons need this too. My sons need to know who they are and whose they are. And he started to show me that men and women 
carry the weight and pressures of this world differently. And I just started to see men just in their minds, the things that they tell themselves, the, the pressure that they feel just starting to be smushed. And them not being aware, them not being cognizant of who God says they are. That they are a son, that they are loved, that they are pleased, that they are enough. And I just wanted to show um, the men in here today some love and say that God sees you and you are so worthy. Amen? All right, so this is this powerful moment where Jesus' identity is affirmed. And you know what happens right after this? Right after this, I'm going to just read it to you, Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, Jesus getting a little attitude maybe, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Uh, there's a translation, I believe it's in Mark, and I love his wording. He says, immediately the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And as I think about this, like we read it, it's another chapter, we pause. But no, Jesus has been baptized in the water and the Spirit leads him to the wilderness. So one moment Jesus is being baptized, the next moment Jesus is being tempted. One moment Jesus is in the presence of community, in the presence of others. The next, Jesus is in isolation. One moment Jesus hears the voice of the Father, and the next, he hears the voice of the enemy. One moment, his identity is affirmed. And the next moment, his identity is questioned. Family, your knowledge of who you are and whose you are will be tested. And if it happened to Jesus, oh, we know the enemy's definitely going to do it with us. The enemy is a name for him as the father of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And as I was reading this passage in Matthew 4, what really stood out to me is every time the enemy tempted Jesus, he said, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. So he was tempting him by questioning his identity. And as I thought about that, how is the enemy challenging your identity right now? If you're a child of God, 
Why do you struggle with anxiety? If you're a child of a God, why don't you have a job right now? If you're a child of God, why can't you get a house in this market? If you're a child of God, why are you struggling in your marriage? If you're a child of God, why is your child doing X, Y, and Z? What is the enemy whispering to you? There's a passage in John 8:32 and it says this, "And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." And I believe a lot of times when this verse is quoted, that it's just like the truth shall make you free, but we forget the first part. It says, "You shall know the truth." What did Jesus say every time the enemy threw something at him? He said, "It is written." And another name for Jesus that I didn't say is that Jesus is the living word. So the living word is using the written word to combat the enemy. And I believe that is a strategy that God wants us to implement in our lives. Use the written word to combat what the enemy says about you. Amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about, my brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um Okay, this is in my notes, but I still feel like I need to say it. So, when we talk about being tested by the enemy, I feel like there's uh three different categories of this. One I already talked about the enemy coming against us, the way that he deceives us, and also the enemy so strategic. He didn't attack Jesus on day 1. Jesus was fast and he was hungry. He waited until day 40 when Jesus was probably a bit hangry and he came after him. And the first temptation was like you know you hungry turn this into bread. So one of the strategies that the enemy uses is that he goes for you when you're most vulnerable. He goes for you when you have a very real tangible need, when you're in a very real vulnerable place. That's when he comes in. That's when he starts whispering. That's when he starts sowing those seeds of disbelief and confusion. So we talked about that enemy, but if I can be honest, I wouldn't call it an enemy, but I'm going to call it our enemy. Our enemy, the narratives that we tell ourselves when it comes to our identity, when we are in these different situations and circumstances, and there's a scripture that talks about us being hard-pressed on every side. In those moments, what are you saying about yourself? Because I believe that in the water moments like the baptism, that's when the word is spoken over you. That's when you're here on a Sunday morning, that's when you're in small group, that's when you're getting coffee or lunch with a friend and you're just hearing truth at you. But in those wilderness moments, that's when you have to speak the word over yourself. When you are isolated, when you are vulnerable, when you are in a tough space, the word that has been deposited as you hear God's message, you listen to podcasts, you read your Bible, you're in the book, those those are seeds that you are depositing within yourself and it's in the wilderness that man now is the time to pull on those seeds to pull on that truth that you have on the inside of you and i would say the other kind of enemy that we face um i wouldn't call it an em- enemy i'm gonna say somebody's the voice of others 
the things that other people tell us that make us question who we are and whose we are. Again, it can very much sound like, if you are a child of God, well, why are you doing this? Or if you are a child of God, why are you doing that? The next thing that I believe God wants us to see in this is that the wilderness is not a place of punishment. It's a place of preparation. The wilderness is not a place of punishment. It's a place of preparation. The very first thing in verse 1, Matthew 4, it says that the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness. Jesus didn't stumble into the wilderness. He wasn't lost and landed in the wilderness. The Spirit led him there. And one of the things that I would even describe my season of transitioning the wilderness, it's a place of unknown. It's a place of being tested. It's a place of being tempted. But it's also a place where you learn to depend on God on a whole new level. You learn that when you don't have your people with you in this very moment, you learn to speak God's truth over yourself. I believe it's David who says that you learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. So the wilderness is a place of preparation. We see in the text that it's after this moment Jesus begins his ministry. After this moment, Jesus starts to perform miracles and healing and, and, teach, um, and teach to people. So this wilderness is a place of preparation. Now, I've talked a lot about the enemy, but I also want to say that sometimes we can give the enemy too much credit. And I have an example for you. I remember a friend who told me, girl, the enemy is just after me today. Guess what happened? And I'm like, what? I got a ticket for running a red light. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> that's not the enemy. <laughs> that's the consequences of you running late or rushing, you know, that's different. So we gotta be careful not to give the enemy too much credit for things that are um, consequences for our own actions but also not negate the fact that we do have a real enemy. And Ephesians 6 tells us, um, actually in all the, arm, the armor of God that is listed, the only offensive weapon is the sword, which is the word of God. And that's what we use to not only defend against the lies of the enemy, the enemy, or the voices of somebody, but it's also what we use to build ourselves up, to remind ourselves who we are. And that last part of Matthew 4 and verse 11, it says, Behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Be sure to see that the angels came and ministered to Jesus. How does that saying go? God may not come when you need him to, but he's right on time. Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2 comes to mind. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And as I read this, and again, a lot of times I read scripture and I see like a movie or a scene, I'm like, God, why wouldn't you send the angels in the beginning to stop, to stop the enemy and to combat him? 
God, why wouldn't you in the beginning when the enemy comes in, why wouldn't that be the moment where you affirm your son and say, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. And as I sat with that, I realized that where would the trust come in? Where would the faith come in if God just immediately jumped in when things got hard? God immediately jumped in when we were getting tested and tempted. And we know, I believe it's in the book of James, that when our faith is tested, it, it produces strength. It produces perseverance. It produces a deeper sense of identity and faith and trust in God. What God has shown me is that life will give us both water moments and wilderness moments. And we have to know our God-given identity in both. But also what I've been realizing is that sometimes we're going to have to hold both in tension. We're going to be experiencing water moments where the word and is being affirmed over our lives, where we're seeing God do incredible things in one area. But then there's this other area where we're being tempted, where we're struggling to believe, where we're hearing a bunch of things that go against what God is saying about us. Our marriage is thriving, but this thing right here, I don't know God. I want you to turn your attention to the screen for a scene from one of my favorite movies that I believe sums all this up. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No! Look hard. You see, he lives in you. Father? How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be.
Remember who you are. I don't know about y'all, but when I read the baptism of Jesus, I kind of envision James Earl Jones' voice of the Heavenly Father that like, that is it right there for me. That is it. But I wonder for how many of us in this room today, that's God speaking to us. My son, my daughter, my child, you have forgotten who you are. I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about who you are, who I say you are. And the beauty of this is not only does scripture remind us who we are, but we can begin to remind ourselves of who we are. One of the things I did as a college student and just really it has stuck with me ever since is I went on Google because I didn't know where to go in the Bible and I found all of these I am statements of who I am in Christ. Because to be honest, I didn't know. And again, it's the truth that you know that will set you free and that will birth freedom and confidence. And I want to read some of them to you. I am loved. I am chosen. I am worthy. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am valuable. I am created with a specific purpose in mind. I wonder what would happen, family, if you left here today committed to speaking God's truth over you every day to affirm your identity. You can use those words or you can find your own, the ones that you need, the ones that you are tempted with the most, the ones that you wrestle with the most. What would happen if you started to speak that over yourself? That's an invitation and both a challenge that I want to leave you with today. And at that end of that clip, Simba starts to chase the image in the sky and he says, don't leave me, don't leave me. And I can't help but see this being the cry of the disciples. Don't leave me, Jesus. And this is what Jesus responded to them with in John 16, 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus continues on in verse 13, and he says that, you know, the Spirit will guide them into all truth. John 14, 26 tells us that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will bring to our remembrance all the things that God has spoken over us. And as I read Matthew 11, it says that the Spirit descended upon him, but John 1, lets us know that the Spirit not only descended on him, it rested on Jesus. It stayed on Jesus. And family, God does not abandon his children. He knows that we'll be tempted. He knows that we'll be tested when it comes to our identity and that we have to know it in both the water and wilderness moments. But he didn't leave us hanging. He gave us his spirit. His spirit lives on the inside of us. His spirit is there to remind us of the truth of who God says we are. And there's sometimes when we have spiritual amnesia and we forget. We forget who we are in God. We allow the words of others and our experiences to shape us. And that's where we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us know and embrace our God-given identity. Holy Spirit, remind us of who we are when we are tested. 
if we don't know our God-given identity, we will settle for far less than who God created us to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the simple truth this morning that we are your child, that we are loved, and that you are pleased with us. God, show us the areas in our life where we are believing lies, that we are living less than, Lord God. God, I just pray as we leave this place that we would feel empowered, maybe even convicted, to start speaking your word over us, God. We thank you for your word that is true, your word that does not change, and an identity that cannot be stolen from us. We honor you, God, and we thank you for a helper to remind us and guide us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.